fearless obedience and final judgment. Let's go on in here and tackle verses 1 and 2. And what I'd like to say from the outset of this is that obeying God is greater than avoiding hardship. I think that's what Peter's getting at here. It's better always to obey the Lord. Even if it hurts, even if you lose precious things to you, it's, it's better to obey God than to try to take the easy way out, to avoid hardship. And oh, we are inclined to this. Comfort is one of our idols, my friends, isn't it? We are inclined to our comfort, to, to predictability, to, to calm and, uh, and ease. And the Lord will often refine us, grow us, strengthen us by putting us in situations where those things are challenged and sometimes lost altogether. Obeying God is always greater than avoiding hardship. Listen to how this begins. So since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Now you remember how how Peter used to arm himself, right? One of those short swords. Remember the garden we just studied this past week on Wednesday when he Uh, All of those soldiers came, 600 plus soldiers came to the garden to arrest Jesus. And Peter, in his moment of courage, and it it truly was a courageous, maybe foolish, but courageous, he pulls out his sword, swings for the fences, and only ends up with an ear, right? (laughs) He was armed in that way, and now he's speaking that we are to be armed, but with a way of thinking, Arm yourselves with the way of thinking, the same way of thinking that Jesus has modeled for us. What was his way of thinking? Well, he humbled himself unto death, even death on a cross. He obeyed. Think think of his example. The example is if our Savior was sinless and he suffered like crucifixion and death, then We should not be surprised if when we seek to obey the Lord in righteousness and walk in obedience to Him, if if we suffer as a result. So arm yourselves with that. Get, Get strapped with a mindset, as it were, of Christ. You are going to experience suffering when you seek to obey the Lord. Kids, listen to me. It's it's better. It's better than blending in. It's better. It's always better to obey. Stand out and honor the Lord. Don't follow the crowd. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. He goes on and he says this, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Uh, what? I love Peter. He throws these curved balls and everything. Just keep reading. Okay, don't stop there. Keep reading. So whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Okay? So many poor handlings of this verse have happened over the years. Some have even concluded that there is a possibility in this life that you can reach the state of sinless perfection. There's an entire denomination that would teach this. That's not what he's saying here. That's not what is, what is happening. Ceased from sin is not, uh, he's not saying that you never sin any longer. That, that would be so inconsistent with all that he's taught 
and with other scriptures. For instance, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. Listen to what John says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, however, he is faithful and righteous, just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay, so there's, there's two specific categories in view here. Those who would say, well, I don't have a sin problem. And John says, you're calling God a liar because he said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That everyone is a sinner. That's everyone in this room, everyone that listens to this. Um, we are all, the, the, the world of us, we are all sinners. But then as Christians, if we say we have no sin any longer, if we say, well, I've ceased from sin because I'm saved, John says, no, that's not true. There is sin in your life, but there's good news. There's good news. Confess your sins day by day. If we confess our sins. So it's not just the moment of repentance when we turn from our sins. It is a day by day sanctifying and, and cleansing of, of the sin in our life through the power of the gospel. So let's look at this a little closer to see what Peter is after here. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, that's going to make more sense when you understand the broader context. He's saying, listen, if you are suffering for righteousness, you are displaying a resolve. You are displaying a, 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 a break, as it were, from sin. That's what's happening. You are done living for sin. You are now living for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And when you do that, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. Some people say, well, it's, it's those who suffer who are most holy. And, and I would say God can indeed bring suffering to sanctify us and make us holy. But I would say that there are people who have suffered and have not been made holy. They've actually turned against God in these things. So suffering is not the automatic in the equation. What suffering is in this context is it's the result of obedience. It's the one who is willing to suffer. If you are suffering, you are revealing in, indeed that you are done with the system of the world. You are sick of sin and you're ready for the will of God. Lead on, King Jesus. I want the light, not the dark. Okay. One of the things that is important for us to understand in this then is that turning to Jesus is turning from sin. Okay, and, and I just don't think it's emphasized enough in our day. There are calls to come to Christ without calls to repentance from sin. This goes hand in hand. To turn to Jesus is to see his sacrifice for sin and say, I don't want the hideous sin that used to define me. I am done with that. Lord, I want to walk in obedience to you. I'm going to war with sin as I come home to you, Jesus. Repentance. Turn from sin. It's, it's a changing of the mind, as it were. That word repentance. A changing of the mind for sin. It's a 180 degree turn. Once I followed the crowd and I lived in the dark and I loved my sin. 
But then he saved me and sent me out, made me holy, set apart from sin unto righteousness. Turning to Jesus is turning from sin. Romans 6, 11, and 12, there's so many verses that build this out with different wording. This is what Peter's saying. Now listen to Paul. So you also, Christians, consider yourselves dead to sin. I'm done with you, sin. I'm ceasing from you, as it were, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign or rule in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You've been set free. Don't continue on as you were. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 6a. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. That's who we were when we were in the dark, right? That we, were, we, we loved the dark. We lived in the dark. Sin is lawlessness. It's I don't care what God says. I do what I want to do. I follow my heart. If I, if I feel like it, I do it. Disregard for God's law. You know that he appeared to take away sins. That's Christ. The whole point of his work on the cross was to make a people holy. To set them out from sin. And in Jesus there is no sin. So arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, right? No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. This is the same mindset. It doesn't mean that you never sin. It means that you don't make a practice. You don't make your home here in the dark. You make your home with Christ. You abide. There's a dwelling in righteousness that you live for as you war with sin in your life. Sometimes these passages are just so mishandled. We will in this life, all of us, Battle sin till our dying day or until Christ returns. The battle is on. The point is, is that believers are at war with sin. This is how John Owen said it. Sin for the believer is a burden that afflicts him, not a pleasure that delights him. You see the posture, the mindset, the change? It used to be what I live for no longer. Now I hate it, and I fight it with victory in the power of Christ. I have a place to go when I fail, when I sin. There's, there's provision been made for me. Fearless obedience. Obeying God is greater than avoiding hardship. So what he's calling these Christians to, as he encourages them, is don't don't let the darkness around you persuade you that it's not worth it. Don't let the fear of what may come when you obey Christ keep you from obeying Him. It's always better to obey, even if you suffer. This is a constant theme. It's one of the reasons we see the context so helpful in interpreting these verses. I think of Jesus in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, Christians, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. If you want to fear someone, fear the Lord. Walk in his way. Obey him. Pay regard to him. 
Don't worry about the crowd. <laughs> they, they can't destroy you. You will not be judged ultimately by them. You might be completely judged in this life for this short little life. I remember the pressure of high school. Oh, man, I was in a rough high school, public school, trying to honor God, walk as a Christian, and the mocking and the reviling and, and, and how much I felt like a complete outsider. And I was. And guess what? For a tiny bit of my life, it felt overwhelming. And then I graduated. And all of those people who were so powerful to, to put pressure on me just disappeared and they're gone. What if I would have caved to their pressure and then graduated? Who cares after that? Like, why please them? Please God. Walk in His way. Obey Him. No matter what. Don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. That's kind of an amazing statement. There have been many brothers and sisters who have been placed on the stake, a pile of timber with torches brought to bear. And Jesus is saying this, listen, Christian, they can burn you to death, but they cannot touch your soul. Do not fear. That's a certain kind of freedom right there. That's the kind of backbone Christians have to have to live in this kind of age. That's the legacy, the shoulders we stand on as we gather to sing these songs. Some of these songs were written by saints who gave their lives in a similar way. So verse 3 now. Verses 1 and 2 kind of set the stage and it moves us into the, the, the commands of verse 3. I'm just calling this, Don't Waste Your Life. By the way, excellent book by John Piper. If you haven't read it, great book. Go get it and read it. Don't Waste Your Life. Verse 3, Peter says, For the time that is past suffices for, for doing what the Gentiles want to do. That is... Living in, you see the words, the home, they make the home, they, the abode that they make. They want to live in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. What a list he builds out here. The time has passed for that. One of the things this reminds us is that Peter's audience is, is not just Jewish. He's talking to Gentiles who used to live here. This is the pagan practices of the day. This is what, this is what defined pagan worship in these areas. I mean, I'm talking they would gather for worship, and that was what worship was. That's what they would do and call it worship. In addition to this, there was a social unity that reassured them that the gods would be appeased. So when someone doesn't participate with the community in these things, they bring the potential wrath of the quote-unquote gods. Now you'd see that connection, how suffering could come, how reviling, how hatred <laughs> You can't, you can't stop doing this. 
How are we supposed to appease the gods if you're over here and the rest of us are over here? I just have to say, (laughs) it's easy for us to feel like we're in unprecedented times, but guess what? There is nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. Those people that lived back then when Peter was writing, they were not all that different than where we are today, the culture that they dealt with. It's the same Satan, the same tempter, same temptations, the same weaknesses of the flesh, the same longings and desires of sin. Let's look at this list. Sensuality is kind of a canopy term. It's... uh, A lack of moral restraint, especially in the category of sexual immorality, but one commentator built it out and said it can also include acts of violence. Okay, so it's like bloodlust. This this builds out this this canopy of of unrestrained care, uh, disregard for any moral obedience. There's no code, there's nothing out of bounds. We do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. Note how many of these things have immorality woven into them. This is a list of defining sins of the day. Passions. In this context, not not every context, but in this context, this word means strong, sinful, human cravings and they would just live it's like live by appetite if you want it go for it don't pay any regard to conscience to the lord to commandments ignore it all and then three things that go together still go together they certainly went together when i was in high school i witnessed this some of you who were in colleges um, that were just defined by these things fact spring break right now there's nothing new under the sun think of what's happening on spring break all over the south drunkenness orgies and drinking contests or drinking parties intoxication sexual immorality and wild parties these are these are not new i just have to draw the connection here between alcohol and sin Okay? Listen to me close. Be careful. Be aware. For the Christian, drunkenness should never happen. Never. Not even close, my friends. Do not ever be drunk, Christians. Hear me out. One of the biggest reasons is, is because drunkenness is a surrender of restraint. You say things that you should not say. You do things that you should not do. You give influence away. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Drunkenness is a complete abandonment of self-control. And how many sins follow? I'm not saying that alcohol... Uh, Drinking alcohol is a sin. I don't believe the Bible says that. But being drunk, I mean, it's clear here in a couple different ways. You should not be intoxicated. You should not be at drinking parties or in drinking contests. You should not be 
a part of any of this. This is a system of sin. It has no home for you anymore. I want you to think how many abortions have come from this combination. How many murders have been committed? The Lord knows. There's forgiveness in Christ. If you're here and you have an echo of this in your past, let me point the way of hope to you. But also, just for you young people especially, listen to me now. Be so careful with the crowd that you run with, with the choices you make as it relates to these things. Guard your heart. Run from expressions of sin like this. There's no home for you there anymore for those who are in Christ. And then lawless idolatry. This is a fascinating connection to all of these things. As I said last week, satanic influence always is perverted. It always takes some sexual expression and changes it up and mars it and makes it ugly and horrible. It's why cussing is so gross and, and, and wrong. It's why oftentimes you see evil pagan worship defined by sexual immorality. So these are evil acts of demonic idol worship in this term. Lawlessness is not God's law. This is civil law that's being broken. <laughs> Think the godless law of the day is being shattered by decisions being made by these people. They don't care about laws. And it's demonic worship that's taking place. The Christian should have no part of that, that darkness, any longer. I think of Ephesians 5. Oh, what a passage this is. So good for us to know Ephesians 5. Therefore, do not become part partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, that's where we used to live, but now you are light in the Lord, so walk as children of the light. Skip down to verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, pull the curtain back. Shine the light on this garbage. Skip down to verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of time because the days are evil. The days for all of this have passed. No more of those days for the believer. Come out from the dark and delight in the life. If you are struggling with alcohol, get help. Get help. It's sin if you're drunk. If you are being drunk, as a Christian, you're living in sin. You need to be free. You need to get help. You need to find a way for freedom. And trust me, the Lord delights to meet you in that place. But you have got to reach out and get help. Come and talk to the elders. We can point the way. Don't carry chains any longer. You've been set free. Hmm. Now, verses 4 through 6. Take heart, believers. The judge is coming. The judge is coming. Verse 4, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and then they malign you. You can see what I was saying here. So, uh, the sum up of all of that list of sins, Peter says, 
It's like a flood of debauchery. Now, the, the imagery of this wording is like a, a sewage pipe with raw sewage pouring into just a cauldron of stench. Have we felt the connection here? I was going to put a picture up, decided not to. Okay? You are no longer in the flood of debauchery. Get out of the sewer, Christian. You don't belong there. Come, experience the washing of Christ and the joy, new clothes, and righteousness. When you do that, some things take place. They're surprised. Why are they surprised? Well, because you used to live there. You used to be flopping around in the sewage with them. They don't like it, so they malign you. They come at you. Shock and shame, mock and blame. That's where it goes. That's where it goes. You know why? Because all of a sudden the people who were not worried about what was right and wrong, they're not concerned about caring about rules or, or God's law. All of a sudden you stand out from that. You're not holier than thou. You've just been saved by grace. You're not better than them at all. You've been experiencing the power of deliverance from slavery and sin. And you begin to shine, and they say, get that out of here. That's, you're making me feel bad for stuff that I love to do. Don't be doing that anymore. I don't want that light, Christian. Stop bringing up obedience to the Lord. Stop bringing up light and freedom and true satisfaction. Stop shining the light on the fact that, yes, we party hard on the weekend, but we also barf and reel in pain and pay the price. Why are we doing this over and over? You make a good point, but I don't want to think about that because this is what we do. They will come at you. They will be surprised at you. They will begin to malign you, to put you to shame. They will mock you, and then they will begin to blame you. They will begin to place blame on you. And, and, and in this context, it's like if they feel that the gods aren't appropriately appeased by their flood of debauchery, guess whose fault it is? It's the Christians. They're the reason that the drought took place. They're the reason for the fire. They're the reason for this or that. Many Christians have been killed, receiving blame while being innocent of the charge armed with the sufferings of their Savior Jesus, who was innocent of the charges. Indeed, Paul writes to Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Just, just settle in. Brace yourselves. Be armed and ready. It's going to happen. Some of you have experienced this in in, in the, the job world situations, some of you in neighborhoods, some of you in family gatherings and issues like that, it's going to happen. Peter goes on and he says, but they will give an account to him who is ready. Don't miss that word. He's ready to judge the living and the dead. Who is this? That's none other than Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is the judge. The Father will judge through the Son. He's going to judge through the Son. And, and the Son is ready to judge the living and the dead. So here's, here's one thing you've got to conclude here. Death is not escape from judgment. Death itself is judgment in part, but it is not the final judgment. You can't just say, I'm going to live it up all I want, and then I'm going to die and party in hell. No, trust me. There is no party in hell. And Satan is one of the chief sufferers. He is not reigning and ruling in hell. He will be suffering in the lake of fire. You don't want that. Every single sin will be accounted for. Let me just show you the level of detail that the judge keeps as it relates to sin. If you've ever wondered how specific the cross is, how, how much atonement was accomplished at the cross, let me tell you, it was precise. Listen to the wording here in Revelation 20. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Books. The records, as it were. These are legal terms. The books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. What's written there? Every single sin they've ever committed. According to what they had done. Deeds, words, things not done, things, things blatantly done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Friends, let me be clear. There are books being written today in the presence of God, recorded with precision it's hard to even fathom this. Every single sin in the history of mankind is recorded. Only God can do something like this. If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of the fire. The lake of fire. So there is a book of life. When was this written? When was the book of life written? The book of the life of the Lamb who was slain, written before the foundations of the earth. Filled with the names of God's elect. Before he said, let there be light, before there was any foundation laid, before creation was, was even in view at all, the Father pinned the names of his chosen and he wrote them in this book. And at the end of this, this epic, as it were, the time is fulfilled that book of life is opened. And when a name comes up of someone who has their name in that book, guess what? They are not thrown into the lake of fire. They are God's precious, forgiven children. All of grace. All of grace. It's no merit of our own. And the book of their sins has already been addressed on the cross of Jesus Christ. Every single sin you've ever committed that was in that book, paid in full. Paid in full. Removed as far as east is from the west. 
I will remember their sins. I choose to cancel that. But if you're not in Christ, you stand before a judge and you are in your sins and you will pay. You will pay for every single sin you ever committed forever with eternal conscious torment in the lake of fire. Why is this in the Bible? I'll tell you why. Because God is love. This is a warning of love. This is epic love in view. He's saying, run to Jesus as Savior because if you don't, He's going to be your judge and you don't stand a chance when those books are opened. There is hope for sinners, friends. There's hope for sinners like me. The only hope is the Jesus who died on that cross to pay for the sins of all who would believe in Him. Run to Him and embrace Him. Turn from your sins. Turn away from this sewage and enter into joy forever. They will give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And then Peter gives us another just really challenging verse. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. And all of a sudden we're like, wait a second. Um, Are we talking about a second chance for people who are dead in their sins? The answer is no. That's not what this is. The Scripture makes clear if you die in your sins and you are not trusting Christ as your Savior, there is no hope for you to be redeemed. It's game over forever. Well, then what is this? I believe it's in the context as he reads here through, there are people who heard the preaching of the gospel who are now dead. They've died. So they, they, their ears connected with the gospel and they have, they have since died. And here really is the question in view. So all the pagans are looking at the Christians and they're like, you guys are not having any fun anymore, but you're still dying. So where's the deliverance there? In this world, there was no accountability after death. In the Gentile world, death itself was the judgment and after that, you're good. So who cares? No, not in reality though, is it? So do Christians still die physically? Yeah, we do. We are all of us fading to glory who are in Christ. We die the way people in the flesh. We we are judged the way people are. However, we are alive in the Spirit the way God is. We We are alive in the presence of God Almighty. So, physical death is different from final judgment. Every single person dies. That tracks back to Adam and Eve. In Adam, all die. Physically, yes, we are all of us going to die unless the Lord returns. But that death for the believer is is not judgment. That death is, in fact, Jesus says, it's not death to die in John 11. That death is not any more judgment. That death is a door to be with the Lord. So Sue Heathers is with him right now face to face. Jolene, with him face to face. 
Their bodies are laid to rest someday to be raised imperishable. The final judgment is coming. So for those who reject Jesus Christ and die in their sins, guess what? They will not escape this judgment. Death is a judgment, yes, but it's not the final. They will stand before the judge and the books will be opened. And they will give account for every single sin they committed in this life. And it will echo through eternity in fire. That's, I think, what Peter is talking about here in this verse. So three things in response to these verses. Number one, the question is this. Are you ready to meet the judge? Are you ready? If you were to die today and you were to stand before the bar of God's holy, holy, holy righteousness, and the question came to you, why should you be brought into the experience of heaven forever? Why? What reason would you give? What, 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 what are you banking your hope on? How would you respond to the question of the judge? Well, I, I went to Good Shepherd. I tried to be a good person. Right? I, I, I helped in my community. I was well-liked by my coworkers. I, 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 I did my very best. I didn't kill anyone. If you run down that path, there will be a book larger than you can even imagine that will be opened, and you will be made aware of every single sin you ever committed. And suddenly, you'll realize you were not as good as you think you were. No one is good enough to pass that bar. None of us are. We're all sinners. We stand condemned before the righteousness of God. There is only one response that will pass. This is it. Listen close. My only hope in this life and the next is the finished work of Christ. I believe that he lived for me and he died for me and I'm trusting him alone. That's my only plea. I trust Jesus. That's all I got. That's all I have. That's the only answer. I'm saved by grace through faith. I don't deserve it. I'll tell you what I do deserve. That lake of fire. That's what I deserve. But I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over my life and every, every sin I ever committed. I'm trusting Him. And I guarantee you this. For all who trust Him like that, Heaven is yours forever by grace. Secondly, I want to come back to this and just make this point once again. We live in a day of perversion and sexual, it's just dripping in our culture. There is nothing new under the sun. Be pure, Christians. Stand out, shine bright. Don't be drugged back into the sewage. Go to war. Say no to sin in every form. And be on guard against the dangers of alcohol. It is not a sin for me to drink. I am not enslaved by it. But I tell you what, after watching some counseling situations and witnessing the power of the bottle, I looked at my wife one day and I'm like, I just don't... I don't I don't want 
to risk that. I'm not interested in that. I don't want, I don't want to become a stumbling block for someone around here. It's not worth it. Now that's me. You guys are responsible before the Lord to make your decision, but I would just warn you, be careful. Be careful. Do not be drunk. It will lead into many other sins. And Christians, fearless obedience, this is the call. Count the cost. Take up your cross and follow him. Come what may. It's better. It's better to obey. Even if it costs you your life, it's better to obey him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us with these words. Thank you for the clarity of righteousness against the backdrop of raw sewage. We are not better. Oh God, you have saved us and called us out of the dark. We are now light in you. You've made us new creations and you've called us to live like it. I pray, oh God, that we would this week, that we would stiff arm sin, that we would say no to the sewage of that temptation to sin, to to draw back into that pipe that we have been pulled out of and cleaned up from. May we shine the righteousness of of our Savior, O God. May, May we stand out as light in the dark. And Lord, may you use that to your ends, to to reach others who are in slavery. May we be bold to speak and point the way to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. For your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.